Welcome to the New Man Podcast, a show for brave men to experience freedom in their faith, sexuality, and relationships. The goal? To provide practical tools and timeless principles that help you become the man you were made to be. And now, your host, Sathya Sam. Hey everybody, it's Athea Sam here and welcome to the New Man Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening and I am particularly excited about today's episode. We're doing something different, uh, something that I haven't done before but something that I will absolutely be doing again in the future and that is more or less a book review. So, I mean, the reality is there are lots of books out there, lots of good books out there and you know, the more specific you get on a subject, the fewer books there are and the fewer the good books are. So, you know, um, when you get into kind of like porn recovery and that kind of stuff, um, there are, I mean, there are books there uh, for sure. But, you know, there's not tons of good books out there. Um, the real popular ones right now are... Um, I uh, can't even think of it. Unwanted by Jay Stringer. That's a pretty popular one. Every Man's Battle uh, was written quite a while back, but very popular. You know, you have Wild at Heart, but that's not specifically addiction recovery. That's kind of more just uh, Christian men's health. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll do some book reviews, I'm sure, on, a, on a, at least a couple of those. Uh, but what I really wanted to do today is to talk about a very specific book that is one of the most popular books in the world. Which is really crazy because, you know, most of the popular books are self-help. They're, uh, you know, like Atomic Habits by James Clear is is like the number two selling book right now in the world. And it's been on the, the top 10 list or top 20 list for 140 weeks. So, you know, like usually it's self-help, usually, uh, or it's fiction. Fiction is just a massively popular uh, category. But uh, this book is about trauma. It is about science and sort of the emergence of, of trauma therapies and trauma research. And it's called The Body Keeps the Score. It's by Bessel van der Kolk. And it is just a phenomenal read. And I feel like I'm very, very late to the party here. I, I just finished reading it. Um, and it was it's been out for like eight years. And what actually brought it to my awareness was my parents because they are writing a book about marriage and their publisher basically suggested that they read this book first because they had sort of talked a bit about trauma and healing from the past and um, and they thought that this would be a good resource. So they read it, loved it, highly recommended it and one of the reasons I jumped at it is because my wife has dealt with trauma herself and um, not only has she like experienced trauma and has uh, the stories to tell but she also has the after effects uh, mentally, emotionally, and physically. And we won't go super deep into that today. But I read the book and as I was reading, I mean, I was learned so much. I felt like I really got a much better understanding of my own wife. But even beyond that, I, I really felt like this could help you guys a lot. So I want to just kind of go through some of the, um, I don't know, some of the more salient points of the book for me. And I literally have the book right in front of me, so you're going to hear some page flipping every once in a while. But I I just found a few things in particular to be really helpful. 
and quite insightful for the addiction recovery journey. Now, he does talk about addiction in the book, um, certainly not a central theme or anything like that, but um, but he does talk a little bit about it and, and makes some good points as well. Um, but let me let me start with kind of just an overview. Trauma has been uh, poorly understood, historically speaking, and even in the book that this author, uh, Dr. Vander, Vander Kolk, um, he really, uh, you can tell he's very passionate about trauma. He is absolutely convinced that trauma therapy could really remedy a lot of societal ills. And he is absolutely infuriated at the lack of funding and research that is going on in this area. Now, it's interesting because that, of course, all happened at the time of writing. And his book now, I mean, we're talking, I don't know if I finished that thought earlier about um, about kind of the, the the copies of the number of copies this book has sold, but this this book has like, I mean this it it is, it's been a number one seller for a very long time. It hit the New York Times list quick. Um, right now on Amazon.ca, it's uh, it's number eight, number eight in the world. Uh, sorry, number eight in the country, um, and and likely it's likely to be. Um, even even higher ranking in America. I'm not positive about that. But the the reason I say that is because, um, ironically, the success of his book has basically made this an emerging science. So, so there's tons of research going into trauma now, and we're seeing a lot more books come out on it. And we're also hearing a lot more stories about it. You know, he's also kind of normalized trauma because I believe his stat was that one in every four people experience something traumatic in their childhood. And, and that is just wild when you think about it. I mean, that means I'm, I'm a, not a majority rather, but um, it means that there are way more people who have experienced trauma in your life than you know. So, so you think about how many people you know between your family. So yes, your family's part of this, right? Your good friends, colleagues, coworkers, classmates. I mean, there there's a good percentage there, 25% according to the stats, who have experienced something traumatic. And that is that is rather shocking. Now, when we say trauma, I mean, uh, I historically knew trauma to be like a car accident, you know, or like an, an incident that was sort of not um, induced by man necessarily, um, or kind of indirectly, but it was more like a natural disaster or, yeah, a car accident, that kind of thing. Most of the details, uh, or the stories rather, that are detailed in this book are abuse-related. And, and I think this is where it becomes particularly useful for the addiction recovery process. Um, because there is so much abuse that goes on, and a lot of it doesn't go reported, or it becomes reported much later. Um, so anyways, we're going to get into that, but let me just quickly give a more textbook definition of trauma. Trauma is an emotional response to a terrible event that you, um, wow, let me, let me give a better definition than that. Trauma is a, is in a response to an event, either one-off or recurring, where the, the body and the brain are unable to fully integrate the experience. So right now, as you listen to this podcast, you are having an integrated experience. Your, your body's relatively relaxed you're attuned to my voice, and there's there's no major threats at play. Your your hormones aren't running like crazy. There's no adrenaline pumping or anything like that. 
Um, and granted, you're probably doing something else while you listen to this, but um, I'm going to assume it's nothing too intense. Otherwise, you'd be turning off the podcast. Now, you can experience intense, intense moments as well and still be integrated. But the concept of integration really is that. It's that you're able to fully make sense of and cohesively assemble the human experience. And when you experience trauma, you cannot do that. There's overwhelm to the system, so much so that your your brain goes into a survival state. Fight, flight, or freeze, typically. And um, the more intense the moment, or the more intense the, the lack of integration, the more severe the trauma is. Now, there are so many layers to this, and I, I really want to keep these podcast episodes within reason, so I'm not going to go into it too much, but all I'll say is that two people can experience the same incident, and one person can walk away unscathed, and the other can walk away traumatized. So it's very much a personal experience, and so just because somebody has experienced something terrible doesn't mean that they're they're doomed for life. Now, granted... Certain events, it's like uh, it's probably more like one person can walk away with a bit of uh, trauma effect, and the other might walk away with severe trauma effects. Um, you reach certain points where it's like it's traumatizing, no matter who you are. But um, but I I guess that that's probably a good place to start. So it's when you're overwhelmed, you can't integrate an experience. Now, some indicators that you might have trauma is uh, recurring dreams or nightmares. Um, a regular sense of danger, a regular sense of just not being able to fully settle down because you don't know if you're safe. Chronic fatigue, uh, typically, not typically, but can be linked back to trauma. Uh, Bowel issues, issues with your digestion, very, very commonly linked with trauma. Um, The inability to be creative or imaginative in ways that you used to be, but you can't anymore. Uh, trauma. Uh, a lot of these things point back to trauma. Now, again, it's not a guarantee. There's just a connection there. Now, where I wanted to go with this today is specifically talking about sexual trauma because this is surprisingly common. Now, I, I myself have not experienced anything uh, even close to this. I'm not going to pretend to understand it, but let me at least start by saying if you have experienced any trauma of any kind, but specifically sexual abuse, I am really, really sorry nobody should have to go through that. Nobody deserves an experience like that. And the the stories that emerge certainly make it clear that often sexual abuse happens in the family and if not in the family, in the neighborhood. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's people who live around you. Sometimes it's amongst other kids in the neighborhood Um, It kind of depends. And, you know, in the clients I work with, I mean, my clients have had their fair share of of sexual abuse incidents. And, um, and we, you know, we help them work through them. We're we're not experts on trauma here. And some of the, the resources and faculties that are necessary to really deal with trauma are just beyond our scope. But we witness it, you know, and we do help people at least at least start now, uh, a couple interesting things that I learned from the book. That's kind of what I promised I would talk about. Number one is that talk therapy, uh, or specifically talking about the trauma, is not always helpful. It's not always helpful. Now, the reason it's not always helpful is because bringing it up can be very triggering. 
and and the the detriments of the trigger are damaging. They, they do more harm than any of the good that could come through talk therapy. So that was quite interesting because I know for my wife and I, even as we've worked through stuff um, and she's kind of been processing trauma, I think sometimes she has felt like she has to talk about it so that I understand or, um, you know, when she gets triggered, it's like, okay, let's talk this through. What are the memories coming up? That kind of thing. That's sort of my protocol. But with trauma, that can actually be more harmful. And there is a very recent discovery called EMDR. And that has proved that you can heal from trauma without actually talking about the trauma itself. Now, EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. I've actually done some myself. I haven't had anything crazy traumatic, but a few things that were, you know, um, yeah, I would say traumatic to some extent. And, um, and EMDR was really helpful, was really, really helpful. So that's, um, that, that was a really interesting point. And I hope it at least calms some of your fears. If you've had trauma, you've experienced abuse, and you've thought, I want to get help, but I don't want to talk about it, or I'm scared that if we really get into it, I'm going to have a panic attack, or I'm going to have a meltdown, or I'm not going to be able to reverse the effects of just talking about it. Just know that there are um, there are solutions out there that don't involve really ex- extensively discussing it. You'll have to talk about it a bit, but you don't have to extensively discuss it. Number two, I've already alluded to this, but um, and it's really in the title of the book, The Body Keeps the Score. You cannot escape trauma. If, if you've experienced something traumatic, it will catch up with you. And I did an episode recently about how addiction leads to death. It's, it's the only place addiction leads to is death. There, there's no other option. And it sounds so morbid and, and kind of drab, but it is the truth. And it's kind of a harsh reality of addiction. Trauma is very similar. Um, your, your body will keep the score of trauma and it will catch up to you eventually. And you may think you're coping. In fact, you may be coping. But one way, somehow, some way, it's going to catch up. Your body is going to catch up. And your brain will either start, start to malfunction or your body will start to mal- malfunction or both. And again, I, I think that, that's probably been understood. But it, it's worth noting again. And a lot of my clients who have experienced trauma um, in their childhood, especially, and you know, like I said, it's primarily sexual abuse. A lot of them have sort of wanted to get free of porn without having to go there, um, either because it's uncomfortable or they have incorrectly assumed that if they got free of porn, they would then be in a better place to deal with the trauma, not knowing that the only way to get free of porn is by first dealing with the trauma. So all of that is to say that if you've had those experiences at a young age and you are trying to get free of porn or some other sexual misbehavior, you will need to deal with the trauma. Now, I highly recommend um, specialized addiction programs as well. I think they work well complementarily and I think that's probably where you're going to get the most effect but you will need to deal with the trauma regardless. It, it is just, it's just a reality. The body does keep the score. We want your body healthy and whole, and that means reversing some of the effects trauma has had. Um, another, another takeaway from the book is, is just how much hope there is for people who have dealt with trauma. And, and this is what got me so excited. And there were 
some days where I would, I would tell my wife, like, babe, guess what I read today? Like, like he was talking about this, and I, th- I think it could be really helpful. I think you need to try it, you know. I probably said that, like, seven times. Um, and it, it really... Um, it really just reminded me that um, whether it's addiction, whether it's trauma, whether it's a debilitating condition or physical impairment, everybody can recover. Recovery is always an option. It's never, ever off the table. It is just a matter of getting the right resources, getting the right guide and help along the way. And, um, and I, I wanted to use that as a reminder, you know, because his book is so full of hope, so many recovery stories, and um, it, it's just, it's excellent. It's an excellent reminder of um, just how much hope there really is for humanity, no matter what you've been through. Now, the last thing I wanted to mention, and this was the, the point that really affected me the most, and it probably helped me realize that I, I might have some unprocessed trauma in, in my body still. He talked about how trauma really impairs your sense of self. Trauma impairs the sense of self. Now, he talked about this anecdotally with the clients he's worked with. He used some case study examples. And then he talked about it scientifically, showing brain scans and how the parts of our brain, specifically the medial prefrontal cortex, that is the part of our brain that is linked with our sense of identity, sense of self, self-worth, self-esteem, all that kind of stuff. It's linked with that part of the brain. And he showed that in people who experience trauma, that part is dim. It, it doesn't light up very often compared to somebody who is just healthy and had normal development. And I thought that was fascinating because I often find that with my clients and the guys that we work with here at Deep Clean, it's often quite similar that the the porn addiction has been very debilitating and so much so that their sense of self is completely worn. It's it's diminished. And it's almost like it's become impaired. And they can remember seasons of their life where that part of their brain was more developed. But ultimately, um, they they are struggling and and not not really able to tap into the way their brain used to be when they had that stronger sense of self. So I find that quite interesting, and I I think it's a great reminder. Uh, One of our our pillars at Deep Clean is identity formation, because we really believe that you cannot outbehave your identity. Whatever you believe about yourself dictates the course of your life. It dictates the course of actions that you will take in in your life on a day-to-day basis and, and certainly throughout the test of time. And it, it's a great reminder that one of the best things you can do to improve yourself is to really work on your identity. It's to work on your sense of self and to be able to answer those questions. What makes me valuable? What makes me who I am? Um, et cetera, et cetera. And I just, I highly, highly encourage you, wherever you are in your journey, never forget how important your sense of self really is. It, it matters so very much, so very much. Um, one last thing I'll actually throw in here, um, another cool takeaway from the book, is he, he used this fascinating phrase that I, I was really um, initially agitated by and then uh, very, very uh, grateful for his point in, in the long run. It was really, really helpful. He talked about the pain of pleasure and the pleasure of pain. 
And he gave some great context, which is that psychologists typically talk about how the brain is motivated by either pleasure or pain. We've sort of created a dichotomy. And I even talk about this in my book, which is coming out uh, beginning of next year, about how, um, you know, science has typically said that you are either motivated by pain or pleasure. And even that, um, that dichotomy has already been uh, very much reduced because what they're finding uh, is that it is the avoidance of pain that motivates far more than the desire for pleasure. The avoidance of pain. So that is, is a stronger motivator anyway. But um, Dr. Vanderkolk took it to another level, talking about how when somebody has experienced trauma, and let's specifically talk about abuse, they've experienced um, something really, really debilitating. They experience the pain of pleasure and the pleasure of pain. So something sexual, as an example, that is meant to be pleasurable, but is actually painful because the context is so dark and inappropriate. It's, it's the pleasure, uh, sorry, pardon me. Yeah, it's the pleasure of pain. Did I get that right? Pleasure of pain? Pain of pleasure? I'm a little bit mixed up here. The point is um, you have, you have uh, this weird conglomeration where you have experiences that are um, meant to be pleasurable, but they're actually painful. And you would think that somebody who experiences something traumatic, you know, they get into a relationship, the boyfriend or the girlfriend is abusive, and, and so they get abused, and then you would think they'd be out because that was a bad experience, and we know that bad, painful experiences, they need to be fixed. They, they need to be avoided, or they need to somehow be dealt with so that the pain doesn't continue. But there is tremendous pleasure that comes from the security the attention, all the other things that relationship may offer. And so it is the pain of pleasure and the pleasure of pain in the sense that the abused person will go back to the abuser again and again, knowing that there's so much pain, but choosing to do so anyway because of the other things the relationship offers them. And so it, it is not a dichotomy necessarily, and of course this is especially in a trauma context, nearly as much as it's an intertwining of these two elements in a very incongruent way. When things are working properly, pain stops us. It stops us from doing those bad things and, and desire will motivate us to do things that are good for us. That is sort of the prototypical ideal. But with trauma, the, the wires get crossed and you have people who go back to these places where they are um, that are pain inducing, um, but there's there's some sort of delight that comes from it as well. The security, the safety, or sometimes it's actually the thrill. The thrill of of being abused is actually enough for somebody to go back to a relationship that is abusive. It's it's bizarre, but it is the pain of pleasure, and it's the pleasure of pain. And I thought that was really interesting, and I and I think I. I was just thinking about, you know, my guys who, who have had sexual abuse and how relevant that information is because often, you know, it's not just one case of abuse. It is recurring and ongoing. And usually because of that point I previously made, sort of the, the reduction in the activity of the medial prefrontal cortex, that reduction of self, it is sort of the, the result of abuse because the only way you can kind of rationalize or integrate an abusive experience is there must be something wrong with me. So he uses lots of examples in the book of women who say, 
oh, I shouldn't have dressed the way I dressed. It caused him to, you know, to do something inappropriate to me. And I know that my guys have experienced similar kind of thinking patterns, but it's that reduction of self that then leads to worse decisions and, and that sort of intermingling of pleasure and pain and, and finding satisfaction, gratification, and ultimately identity in really inappropriate places. So that's that's what this whole thing kind of boils down to. And I I've, I've think you can imagine how that would affect your desire for porn or some other kind of sexual misbehavior because your your wires are crossed for what's pleasurable and what's painful. And, and it really, the, the experience of porn addiction is the integration, or not the integration, sorry, but it is the intertwining of pleasure and pain. It is something deeply pre- pleasurable that we inherently know is painful. And yet something keeps us coming back to it. And so it, it, there's definitely some overlaps there with the person who experiences trauma as well. I don't think it's quite the same. And I don't think we'll fully understand exactly the ins and outs of porn addiction in this context for many years to come. Research is just lagging behind and I dream of uh, being that that Besser, uh, pardon me, Bessel van der Kolk or of somebody becoming the Bessel van der Kolk in this area so that we can really shine a light on this topic and, um, and you know, just make this an emerging field because we need all the help we can get. But, um, but that, is, uh, that is kind of what I wanted to talk about today. A little bit longer. Uh, it is a, a very academic read. Um, I would say you, you probably, um, if you don't have a university education but you, you like reading, you can still do it. Um, if you don't really like reading, this book is going to be a little bit too much for you. And I would probably recommend finding something a little bit shorter, a little bit reduced. Uh, if you are a little bit more on the academic side, it's very nice. It's very enjoyable. And um, he, yeah, he uses lots of language that, that you probably already know and, and a bunch that you get to learn. But it's really uh, a really good read. Very insightful. And the last thing I would say is that if you've experienced trauma and you haven't got much healing for it, I don't know if this book's right for you. It might be. It might be exactly what you need. Or it could be triggering. And you probably won't know until you start reading, but just be careful. Um, because people who have experienced trauma, you, you have to be careful around the things that are going to trigger you because it's often just not worth it. It's not worth it to get into those states. Um, there's other ways, other ways to process without having to deal with um, the triggering kind of content itself. As useful as it could be, um, sometimes it's just not helpful as as well. So that is everything for today. Thanks for listening, guys. It's my first time doing a bit of a book review here, so thanks for letting me fumble my way through that. But um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it really helps you live your life with integrity. And I hope it helps you become the man of God that you were made to be. I'm cheering you on. Uh, Much love in my heart to you. And I wish you an incredible day. We'll talk very soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The New Man Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, you can share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, please sign up for the weekly newsletter at www.sathiasam.com or follow on Instagram at Sam. Thanks again and see you next time.